Aaron, this is a really fun moment for you. Oh, oh actually for yeah. me, because <laughs> I get to interview you for a little bit. Yes. Uh, the church may not realize this, but this is maybe a miniature example of the teaching team where we get to Absolutely. talk and wrestle with and think through why we do what we do. Sure. Four weeks ago, you pulled together a series where we were going to talk about following Jesus. Yep. Uh, the title's been Follow Me. Yep. We've looked at spiritual formation. We've talked about the golden rule and yep. the great commandment. Yep. We got one more. One big one. So this is why this is fun. I get to interview you yep. about your final theme, but I get to preach it. Absolutely. No, and I'm so excited. I, I, There's part of me that wanted so bad to teach this. There's another part of me that says, as a dad... Yeah. And as a husband, you got different priorities. Good good chance as you're watching or listening to this message, we're in the hospital hmm. uh, for a couple of weeks um, for a, a series of tests that's been scheduled for a yeah. couple of months. So as we were planning this series and coming up with these ideas, yep. I was so happy that uh, you could be here uh, when I couldn't. And so, so, th so thankful for you and just this opportunity to be a dad, yeah. be a husband and be where yeah. I need to be on, yep. on weeks like this and know that uh, the Great Commission is covered so well. But also I'm passionate about this. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about this so, just a little bit. So, so tell us this, yeah. when you were mapping out these four, yeah. Uh, how did this one make the list? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> a couple of, probably three times in the last six, eight, 10 months, whatever, I had heard in podcasts or whatever, um, out of surveys, like Christians not knowing what the Great Commission is, hmm. uh, not knowing how it applies to us. And I sort of thought, like, this is our responsibility, yep. and it's our responsibility to help our congregation know what is the Great Commission, how does that apply to us? Mm -hmm. So part of me was like, not on our watch, Woody, yeah. not on our watch, and we yeah. need to do something about this so we want everybody to know what the Great Commission is. Yeah. It'd be interesting right now, even if we were able to put anybody on the spot, could we even name Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, so how do you feel like this works into yeah. each of our individual lives, how it works Absolutely. into us as a church? I, I, I see a couple of things. I, I see on one level the Great Commission is an individual uh, responsibility, but it's also a corporate responsibility. So legitimately, corporately, Jesus gave this commission to his yeah. church, us, uh, not any one of us, uh, not any one church, all of us is the church. And so we have this mission, this commission we've been given that to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth and Legitimately, we're trying to do that through our global partners in India and in Mexico and Africa. Uh, but we also realize there are still uh, people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Yeah. There are unreached people groups where there's less than 2% of the population yep. is Christian, not a lot of access to the gospel. That's, that's like 3 billion people in that category. Uh -huh. Unengaged people is some 300 million, no church presence mm -hmm. at all all, no access to the gospel, to the Bible. And we've got a role, all of us, in helping to fulfill the Great Commission in our lifetime. But here's the dilemma. We can pack our bags. We can send people to Africa or India or wherever. And sometimes it's easier to go to Africa or India or Mexico than it is to walk across the street. Yep. Yep. And so... Um, there's a burden, I think, on our hearts as, as pastors, yeah. a burden on our heart as a church to help equip every single one of us. We have a role to play within the Great Commission. The truth is, each of us, whether it's at work or school, where we work out, hang out, eat out, whatever, um, we are around people who may not ever come into the doors of our church. Yeah. But they they may not hear my sermon or your sermon, but right. they may hear the story of our own individual's lives 
of, of what's Jesus done in me? And we want to equip each other to tell our personal stories, to represent yeah. Jesus at home, at work, at school, wherever we are, to, to live this out. And the baton of the Great Commission is not in the hands of pastors. Mm. Amen. I think that reminder yep. of it's in the hands of the followers of Christ. Yeah. Every single person, woman, man, boy, girl, who is a follower of Christ has a responsibility in the Great Commission. So we want to encourage and inspire and equip us to live that out, not just on Sunday mornings, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day and be examples for Jesus. Yeah, this one's really key as kind of the final fourth one of this series. Yeah, uh, If you had to think through absolutely. how we reorient ourselves, are there any like really just practical things? You were hinting at some broader things. Sure, absolutely. And I think we're going to do that through a long, kind of a, a, a process of equipping and, yeah. and knowing we've got uh, classes and seminars on our horizon. We've got just places to start, be that a rooted or a community group yep. or next steps or a fresh start. We're trying to do things like that uh, to uh, invite all of us into this story. Yeah. But then also, I think it's also a reorienting ourselves to, I live in California. Mm-hmm. Our church is in California. Yep. California is our mission field. Yeah, we have opportunity here Absolutely. And now. It's our mission yeah. field. And there's all kinds of bad news in California, but the good news of Jesus is not stopped right at yeah. all. And how do we live in a mission field? You know, one of the crazy things is other countries are sending missionaries to the yep. states now, yep. to places like California. And I'm like, it used to be that we're sending missionaries all over the world. They're coming <laughs> here now because this is a mission field and the opportunity is right before us. And I just think for 2000 years, followers of Jesus have been trying to fulfill the Great Commission. And guess what? It's our turn now. Yep. Now we get a shot. And I'm excited about that, but I'm also aware the challenge is great. It's yeah. great. It's a great challenge for me personally. Um, to walk across the street. It's a great challenge for me, but I need the reminder and I need the encouragement and sort of to have that overflow of the hope and the love of Jesus and the commission, the purpose of Jesus, be a reminder in my life over and over and over again. And then let us, as, as we're preaching, leading, et cetera, living, just living, let that leak out as well to others and say, let's Join God in his work in our world. Yeah. And we're praying for you, your Thank family, you. and Kate. Thank you and so much. Uh, thanks for giving us your passion for this final part of the sermon. Absolutely. Hi, church. I'm Woody. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, someday come say hi to me. And if you're online, hi, online. I'm so glad you're here today. You just heard a conversation between Aaron and I, and did you pick up at the very beginning? uh, He mentioned where he and his family are at this week. They are watching out and journeying with their daughter, Kate, as she's having some some diagnostic tests run to watch over. If you're newer to our church and you don't know that storyline, Kate is their amazing daughter who has fought and God has done so many amazing things through a, a horrific experience of brain cancer. And so We want to keep them in our prayers. And here's what I know that Aaron, Holly, the whole family, Kate would say it, stop putting so much focus on us. There's tons of other families that have lots going on. In many ways, this is one of those sweet family church moments where we can pray for them and I can also pray for you as you have things going on. Would you pray with me for a second for um, the McRae family? God, thank you for our pastor. Thank you for Aaron and Holly and God, thank you for Kate. Thank you for Will. Thank you for Liv. 
And we pray this, would you watch over the doctors and the nurses as they continue to journey with Kate through all they're figuring out. Give them wisdom. Give them uh, just kind of the insights to encourage and see uh, new ways forward, quality of life and all the different things that are needed, hoped for, and longed for. And God, with that, I also pray for every family that is a part of this Hillside Church that goes through their own struggles, their own challenges, their own unknowns. Uh, God, would you meet our church in those spaces? We desperately need you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so thankful for how Aaron has guided us the last three weeks as we've done this series, Follow Me, Focus on How to Follow Jesus. And in some of our posts through Instagram and other spots, we have put these really clean, just kind of like graphics with a verse on it that remind us of what Jesus has called us to do. I think if I woke up every morning and just looked at all four over four weeks, I would have enough to live into for the rest of my life. I would have enough where I'd be begging Jesus, help me to be faithful with this one today. And I thought it would be good before we even got to the fourth one if I did a quick rewind review. And if you need that help, maybe you can take a little picture yourself. I'm seeing people in church now. Aaron's preaching such great stuff. Everybody's taking pictures of the screen. If you get on Instagram, social media, other places, our team is really trying to put that stuff up so you can have it as reminders. Maybe a screensaver or something like that. Three weeks ago, there was a focus on spiritual formation. And in that, we highlighted Matthew 16, verse 24. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's about denying yourself. If we're going to follow Jesus, the spiritual formation is where I and my desires are not first. <laughs> I'm ready to deny myself. What does Jesus call me to? What does Jesus want me to do and say? The second week that Aaron preached, we focused in on the golden rule. Perfect timing is a bunch of you jumped back into school, rhythms, and fall, and everything else. Focused in on, so in everything, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Imagine if Jesus kept working on our hearts enough that the way we treated everybody else is how we would hope they would treat us. And that sacrificial denying of ourselves could be one of the brightest lights in the world. And then last week, Aaron focused in on the great commandment, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And that was just really plain and clear, a commandment. It wasn't a, a casual throwaway. It was a commandment. And it was to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And what I love that Aaron did last week is he basically reminded us, this is not just a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not a, hey, if this is convenient, you have time to try this out this week. It was a straight up commandment. You are called to live radically this way. Love God and love your neighbor. And so as we come into this fourth week and I get to focus in on the Great Commission, can I just highlight again that we have another command? Uh, this isn't a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's if you want to live what Jesus calls us to, this Great Commandment has action. This Great Commission has action. And the action is this. Go. Get ready to do something. I, I try to think about it this way because it's at the end of Matthew. Every single one of these last three weeks and this week have been pulled out of the gospel of Matthew. And in this final one, it's actually in the very last chapter, almost to the very end. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 28 in there, this is like a last will and testament. 
It's like a final words moment. It's like a coach that's retired and gets to pull together all the players and all the other coaches, all the assistants, and says, hey, here's the most important things to keep this program going. Jesus is absolutely telling them what they need to pay attention to. So here's the million dollar question, or maybe here's the man or the person or the woman on the street interview. If right now somebody were to walk up and down these hallways with a microphone and walk right up to you and go, what is the great commission? Could we say it? Or if there was a million dollars on the line and you were out at the grocery store or a mall shopping this afternoon and somebody came to you, a million dollar question, can you tell us what the great commission is? Could you name it? You know what would be even more challenging? What if somebody were to ask us, and can you practically describe how to live it in this world? Church, do you know what the great commission is? Therefore, go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've taught you. This is about being a witness, a bright light, a hope in the world, The people that get to say, God is doing something sweet in me. If you want to talk about Jesus, I'd love to. I don't know all the answers, but I can at least tell you what I know God is doing in me. And you might want to take an interest in this because it could change your lives forever. The great commandment is something we're going to focus on today with the goal of this. Here's the goal. I am hoping that I can demystify some of what our kind of concerns or the things that keep us from being active participants in this great commission. I'm hoping that it will be a grand and empowering moment where you go, the great commission includes me. By the way, have you noticed every time I've said commission in the middle of it, what's the word that's in there? Mission, right? In the very middle of commission is the word mission. We are being stirred up to be on mission. And in this mission, you and I have a key role. Aaron hinted at it in that little interview I got to do. Do you know it's not just my job? It's our job. Do you know it's not just somebody who has a title like TV evangelist or radio evangelist or podcast evangelist? It's not just their job. Christ has invited us into being a huge part of this great commission. I want to read it to us today because I think there's some powerful uh, language that will really propel us if we understand it a little bit more. But I think it's okay to maybe ask you some questions first because I have to ask myself some questions. You can't get up here and preach without wrestling with what have I now done with this stuff in my own life? Think about this for a second. In the last week, when's the last opportunity you had to have an initiating conversation about Jesus. It didn't have to be huge. You didn't have to bust out the Roman road or memorize something giant. Like, was there any way that Jesus trickled into a conversation? Can you think of a face or a story or a person over the last couple months or even the last couple years? Some of us have been following Jesus for a really long time and the great commission is either exciting a little hesitant in us, or so afraid, we're so glad that everybody else is supposed to do that because I don't have the gift of evangelism. By the way, I don't think that's anywhere in scripture, so don't be excited if you think you don't have the gift of evangelism. That in this passage, what I'm hoping as we read it, you will be reminded and you will be propelled and you will be excited to be a part of God's plan for this world. I want to read the first part of the passage. 
because it's going to give us insight for what we know is the Great Commission. Listen to chapter 28, verse 16, when it says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then this is the verse 19 that I've been hinting at is our commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Did you start to get the hint why I read verse 16 and 17 to get us ready for verse 19 and 20? There's so much in here. And I think if we don't have the context, we can absolutely miss what's going on in this moment. There was some radical language about emotions, actions, feelings that was going in there. And if I could highlight it, it would be in verse 17. Did you see it when I read it? It said this, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's interesting, isn't it? And there are these, these highlights moments of action and there's feelings and emotions. And I got to be honest, I'm so glad that scriptures give us more context rather than just the hard facts. Cause I would always feel like as a human, I didn't quite match up because I'm hesitant or I'm thinking about it, or I wish I had some more training or something like that. Do you realize in that verse, basically we are hinted at the fact that these disciples were wrestling with obedience, worship, and yes, even doubt all at the same time. I told you I was going to try to think out loud with you about this great commission. I love it that Matthew said, and some doubted. <laughs> didn't hide it. Didn't cover it up. Didn't go. And they all stood there confidently as Jesus was raised from the dead, showed himself to the disciples and was now on a, mount, a mountain in Galilee and was ready to ascend to heaven. And they just all stood there and go, Jesus, we got this. We don't even need you anymore. You go do your thing in heaven with God. We got earth. We'll take care of it. The passage actually got brutally honest. Commentators will wrestle with this uh, little portion of scripture. What they can't really decipher, it's unclear, but I need to at least just tell it to you, is this. Did all of them doubt or did some of them doubt? It mentioned 11 disciples, which means Judas wasn't there. It was the 11 disciples that were there in Galilee. And so, so was, that, was that six and five? Was it three and whatever? Or were they all doubting? There's many when it says in there that they had doubts, that they were thinking this through when they is what the scripture said, that potentially all of them had what it was a little bit of doubt. Can I give you some help with the Greek word? Because it will bring context. The Greek word here for doubt means to waver or hesitate. Listen to this English definition that will help it even more. The English dictionary will say that this Greek word means to fear, to be apprehensive about. And then I like this and had to wrestle with it, to be uncertain about something. I asked myself this all week. What is the something in this passage that these disciples were hesitant about? You know what Greek word isn't there? 
The Greek word that wasn't used by Matthew is the word unbelief or disbelief. These disciples absolutely believed. They were there trying to decide, man, I, I don't know, maybe this is a mirage or it's great magic. Maybe Jesus isn't the real deal and we're getting duped. It says that they obeyed and they worshiped and they doubted. Here's probably the best way I could describe what this means. If you open up your Bibles to that earlier chapter in 28 and you look at verse 7, it goes back to when Jesus was raised from the dead, the tomb was empty, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. When they went to the tomb, the angel was there and had a conversation with Mary and Mary Magdalene, and this is what the angel said to them. Now go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. This angel said, Jesus has risen. And if you believe this and you're willing to see what it's going to look like and you can't wait to participate in it, go to Galilee. And that's where we're at in this great commission moment. I just want to say this because I love calling out the good stuff and the disciples when the good stuff happens, not just the bad stuff or the doubting stuff. Do you realize those 11 disciples showed up in Galilee because they did believe? They were obedient. They did what Mary Magdalene and Mary uh, told them the angel said. And so when you imagine them standing there in front of Jesus in Galilee, they were able to worship because they had already obeyed and gone to Galilee. But then there's that word doubt again. I think this will help us. This is the stuff that I wrestle and think with all the time so I can live it out myself. I think the difficulty or the what was the something in this moment was this. The disciples were struggling to comprehend and articulate the over and above what can't be described. God has been raised from the dead. What I love about this passage is it already from the very beginning tells me if I'm going to be a, bit, a witness in the world, if you're going to be a witness in this world, we will never fully be able to wrap our minds around it and we'll never be the master evangelist because God is absolutely so amazing, we could never describe it. So here's the deal. If you are hoping to get to the point where you could talk about Jesus and what always keeps you from doing that is, well, I don't know it all yet. You are in great company with the disciples. Part of why I'm so excited that the word doubt was in here or the word hesitation or kind of the whole understanding of an apprehension is because it was related to God is way bigger than them. The resurrection is way bigger than them. What God does in the world and what God does in me and what God does in you is hard to articulate. So if you got a little bit of nervousness when you want to talk about Jesus, you are normal and in the same boat with the disciples. I think what was difficult was they were trying to imagine, I've been following the Son of God for three years. He died, rose from the dead, and is going to heaven. And we got to see evidence of him, hear evidence of him for 40 days. Now, how in the world am I going to live out this mystery? This is so amazing, yet so over the top. And I'm nervous that I'm going to be able to step up for what's called here. Part of the Great Commission is this. We need to know that it's okay to be nervous, unprepared, and not always sure that we're the right or best person to do that. That's what I want to normalize today. There's this biblical scholar by the name of Stanley Hauerwas that captures kind of this whole Matthew 28 with this statement. Matthew did not tell us what form their doubt took. 
But one doubts that they doubted that he had been raised from the dead. Rather, their doubt regarded their ability to obey and follow Jesus. They have not forgotten that they deserted him when things got complicated during his arrest. Church, can I normalize that if you find yourself ever nervous to speak up about Jesus, you are in great company. So did the disciples. Could I just be honest with you for a second? Have you ever been in that moment where you felt like you were supposed to say Jesus and you got so tongue-tied and you got so overwhelmed and your heart started to beat? You know what I'm talking about. Somebody comes to you and they're like overwhelmed or their life is broken in a mess and you're like, uh, I, uh, Jesus, because you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid you don't know how to say it. You're afraid you don't have five major verses memorized for that perfect moment. You are normal. The disciples felt the same way. Here's what I'm hoping today is like Aaron was saying in the video and what I've been hinting at today is we will not sit around and wait for the experts to do the work that we've all been called to do. We, when we share about Jesus and we don't feel like we know it all is actually the most beautiful place in the world to be because it means we have to be more dependent upon Jesus rather than our ability to argue, convince, or talk somebody into something that really we shouldn't be doing the talking about. Here's what's so fun. When I think about that, Matthew chapter 28, I like to try to imagine the everyday language that Jesus might have used if I was there, or if we got to hear an expanded Matthew chapter 28 and got more of the information, here's what I imagine Jesus connecting with and telling the disciples about. Imagine Jesus saying this at the end of Matthew 28. Hey, disciples, if you're scared and overwhelmed, nervous, that is okay. You're normal, and you are trying to take me seriously And even more so, you're trying to take my great commission seriously. Good. Don't worry. You will do this on your own. Remember, you have our heavenly father. You have me, the son of God. And you have the Holy Spirit who is coming that will always be present with you. Hey, disciples, are you catching this? You have all authority through me. Anything's possible. Continue to grow and mature in your own discipleship as you follow me while you also go to all nations, while you go to the neighborhoods around you, the cities and everywhere in the world so that you can make disciples, sharing the gospel, guiding conversations, maybe even being present when a conversion happens and then continuing to help others figure out discipleship as you figure it out yourself. You don't have to do it all. I'm with you. Church, that's what's being told to us in the Great Commission when we're told to therefore and go. Whatever's been happening to us, whatever God is doing to us, we are prepared. So you might ask this, and I think this is important to get to because otherwise we walk out here and go, well, I, I, I realize that it's okay to doubt or, or be nervous or it's okay to have apprehension. This has to happen. So what do we do now? And I can make that really simple. We have to be ready to focus in on Jesus filling in what we can't do on our own. That allows us to take risks. That allows us to step into things we'd never step into before. That allows us to probably even in spots where maybe we're not technically supposed to 
pray for a friend or a coworker or something when the moment was right and the Holy Spirit prompted us. This is what I'm talking about. We don't have to have all the answers because Jesus is the authority. And if we keep pointing that direction, everything will be different. I've hinted at, but I got to keep saying to you, do you know you don't have to be experts? By the way, does anybody else ever, when they're around somebody that thinks they're an expert on any topic, ever get really tired of a know-it-all? Could I just free you up? You know what one of the best responses to somebody if they ever talk to you about your faith is and you, they ask you a really big question? Man, I don't know either. That's what I'm trying to figure out in my discipleship. Let me keep doing some more research and work and let's talk again because I'm trying to follow Jesus and that was a really big, good question. We don't have to be experts. We just have to be ready to point to the authority. That verse 18 says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. If somehow in our conversations and our actions and in our going, we keep pointing back to Jesus, we've actually pointed to the best thing in the world because I don't want to point to myself. I want to point to Jesus. Church, I want to give you some basic potential ways to live this out. It could be lived out in town. It could be lived out in your home. It could be lived out in your city. It could be lived out in your place of employment. It could be lived out in another state or this state. It could be lived in another nation. It could be lived around the world. Here's some of the basic ways to live out this calling. One of them is by lifestyle, conversation, evangelism. How many of you have something that you love? Some people love puppies. Uh, we're wondering if our dog is going to have puppies and we're already excited and we talk a lot about puppies. Sometimes we talk about things we buy. Sometimes we talk about significant others. If any of you have a significant other, you probably should talk about them every once in a while. But how often do I talk about the most significant thing in my life, Jesus Christ, who has saved me from myself, from my sin? Do you realize this lifestyle and these conversations can open up spaces and places and grocery stores, athletic teams, school moments, school boards, anywhere. And you don't have to have the four spiritual laws memorized. You don't have to know the Roman road. It could help you and add to it. But do you realize if you just talk about what's in your cup and it flows up out of you, Jesus will fill in for all the places or provide another disciple, another evangelist to do all the pieces that you couldn't do. Church, I want to free us up. We are so used to not feeling confident that we're not doing anything. Or maybe I'm the only one. Right? There's moments that the state we live in, the place we live in, and many would say with uh, California or the nation starting to be a post-Christian nation, that I think we've got to start practicing, trusting, and growing in what it means to lifestyle and conversationally be comfortable with mentioning what Jesus has done for us. And those are the sweetest spaces in the world when we speak up like that. Peter and John did this in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. There's a really sweet moment in Acts when they're so excited about Jesus. It simply says this. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's what I was hinting at with. We talk about what we love. If you love Jesus, I hope that there will be moments that Jesus is on the tip of your tongue and it comes out naturally and normally. Imagine this. Someone says, hey, I've watched you. You're different. Never say this. Oh, yeah, I just got my act together. I'll keep watching me and I'm sure you'll learn something. 
No, there's something different about you. Yes, because I'm a knucklehead and God is working on me nonstop and Jesus has changed everything. Thanks for noticing what Jesus can do. Simple, simple things. Here's another way that we can live this out. Friendship or relational evangelism. I have friendships. My wife has friendships that we've done for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And we have been hinting at Jesus. We've been waiting for those sweet moments for Jesus conversations. And it's a long journey along the way. And throughout some of those years, sometimes 20 years later, sometimes 10 years, three years later, a college roommate or something that will call up and say, hey, I wasn't interested in anything you had to say way back when, but life has gotten a little rough. And you hinted enough, you talked about enough. Can we talk about Jesus again? Long term makes all the difference in the world. You know what's so fun about the word evangelism? If some of you are like, what does that word mean? It means to announce. And did you see the little word that's in the middle of evangelism? The word angel is in there. Do you realize we get to take part in the same work that the angels did? We get to spread good news to the world. Giddy up, that's the best news in the world is that we get to share good news. We get to talk about Jesus, everyone. Don't forget it. Don't get used to being quiet about it. Don't get used to places and spaces tell us we're not supposed to. We want to talk about the things that have changed our lives like there's no tomorrow. This other really practical example is one my wife came up with because I think she lives it out at the hospital all the time where she is a nurse. It's called obedient nudging evangelism. The Holy Spirit has this ability to kind of go, hey, you should speak up about me right now. Or, hey, that person is overwhelmed. You're probably not at work very often supposed to say, hey, could I pray for you? But right now is a really sweet moment. Be obedient to this. Have any of you had those moments where you see somebody overwhelmed and you're like, I feel like maybe I should just go over there and tell them, hey, I don't know you and this is really weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you God sees you and God loves you and you're not alone. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk you into anything or take an offering and walk away slowly. Church, our God has called us into something powerful. Are we taking part? Second point, we don't have to have all the talent. Jesus is enough. Let me give you two passages of scripture and you can read them this week if you want to. One is found in Luke 10 and one is found in Matthew 10. By the way, that makes it really easy. I didn't set that up. The scriptures were already like that. Matthew 10 and Luke 10. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70, 72 different disciples and he tells them not to take very much. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. And in Matthew 10, it lists all their different names. And there were every different personality possible, every different character. And when Jesus talked to those 12, he didn't go, well, some of you are really good at evangelism. Some of you are great at witnessing, but the others of you aren't. How about half of you stay here because I only want to send out the good ones. Do you realize Jesus sent them all out? They're all supposed to be. And in that passage, it's really neat because Eugene Peterson tried to rewrite what was happening there. And I love some of the language. He basically says this, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. Don't even put on a huge fundraising campaign. Go right to the people you're living with that are in your neighborhood, that are around you. Talk about me. And it goes on at the very end of this little section where Eugene Peterson tries to put it in everyday normal language. He says this, you don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. Church, 
All we have to do is talk about what Jesus has done in and for us. And if there's a bunch of stuff you don't know yet to go, I don't know that. I'm trying to learn and figure it out too. I'm a disciple. You want to be a disciple? Let's figure it out together. Here's what I love that we're talking about and what it means to follow Jesus. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, we have more expanded. What did Jesus say before he went to heaven? And Jesus said it this way. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In that little interview sweet spot that I had with Aaron, you could tell that we were talking about multiple things, and it's this. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea. We feel like God has called us to be witnesses everywhere. And for some reason in the U.S., we've kind of figured everybody knows the story. They can choose to accept it on their own or not. Do you know almost every time God opens up a sweet Jesus conversation, I feel like I am in a brand new spot where people just don't know and they want somebody to tell them. If you have a chance to join us going to Mexico and as the world opens up and we're hoping to get back to India and Africa as soon as possible, do you realize that we don't want to just go there and be a witness? We want to be a witness in our homes, our neighborhoods, our grocery stores, where we get our hair cut everywhere. And the best way to practice for any and all things is to have that be a natural lived out part of our lives. You don't have to be an expert. You don't need a lot of equipment. Church, you are the equipment. Your transformed life is the message. You are witnesses for Jesus Christ. If you can't tell, what I'm hinting at is this. Not one of us should ever say, evangelism is not my gift. We should never say, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and we should never say, there's no non-Christians around me. Everybody's saved because we know that's not true. The Great Commission is this, therefore go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I taught you so that they can be obedient and be disciples as well. Church, we are called into something great, the Great Commission, Jesus' authority, Jesus' power to help us to be a bright light in the world. And uh, what's fun is some of you are like, but Woody, I need help. Well, me too. If you want to grow in some foundational ways to be able to understand God, this is one of the main reasons we're doing Rooted Again. You can learn to talk about God. You can learn to understand how God works in the world, how God works in our lives. And do you realize in those 10 weeks, two of the weeks are about learning to tell your God story. And then even shaping it so it's a little bit smaller and you can share it in ways that make sense. Church, we are trying to train and empower you to be a witness in the world. This would be a sweet way to get into the habit of being able to talk about a great God that we will never be able to talk great enough about, but at least get the process going so Jesus could fill in on all the spots that we're not able to. Church, I want you to feel encouraged and empowered and I want us to live radically. We're going to sing this song here at the end. And it kind of gets us going. It kind of propels us. Because I don't want this. I talked to Brian about this, right? We talked about this ahead of time. Yeah. We don't want this to be an ending. 
There, there shouldn't be an ending to this gathering. Because the song that we're about to sing is actually the giddy up to get out of here and go live it. And uh, the, the whole conversation is about a savior that saves. Brian, you and I, I, you've talked about where you get your haircut. And by the way, you got a good looking haircut. We talked about the grocery stores you go to. We talk, I like, like, like you and I don't live at this church 24 seven. And when we leave, do you know, we don't wear badges that say pastor. And then everybody wants to talk to us about like, we shop like you shop. We get our haircut like, well, Brian gets his haircut way better than I do. But, but, but we do real life and you and I have to figure how Jesus comes into our conversations, how we talk about the hope of Jesus. And the song gets back to the root of that, Brian. How, how are we going to live that? How are we going to do it? How are you going to do it? Because we all need to do it. Well, thanks. Thanks for the challenge, first of all. Come on, let's thank Pastor Woody for reminding us of what this thing's all about. You know, as uh, I've been thinking about this message and then got to hear you preach it uh, this morning, I, I've just been thinking about this idea that uh, as much as we have to have trust in God, um, isn't it amazing that he trusts you? I mean, just think about that for a second. He trusts me. Look at me. Are you kidding me? He's trusting this whole thing to me and to you. What a, what a massive, beautiful endowment of trust. What a huge opportunity that lies before us. And this song is, uh, it, it's just steeped out of John 3.16. Any Awana people? Come on, some, somebody went to Awana when they grew up. I went to Awana. You guys know this about my story. Um, and uh, like this would be one of the first passages of scripture I would have memorized as a child. And um, you see it at the football games. You see it all over. But this is the mission we're sent out yep. to go and tell. And uh, some of us need some sharpening tools uh, on, on this because I, I resonate with what you said, even as a pastor, that there are times when ah, yeah. yep. I want, I want, yep. I want to be bold and courageous, but ah, but that we would be commissioned yeah. Yeah. to go, to go and tell and disciple our neighbors, our coworkers. Yep. This is the mission that's before us. And so this song is just going to employ us to do that. Yeah. Brian, the simplest thing I think we could say sometimes is just Jesus has radically changed my life. Come on. And just drop that and see if God opens up a bigger conversation, an honest I, I thought conversation. you had to go to seminary first. Yeah, no, no seminary first. Just Jesus has radically changed my life. I thought you had to go to Sunday school first. No, you don't have to go to Sunday, no. Jesus has radically changed my Come life. Come on, let's practice it out loud. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus has radically changed my life. And then you trust the Holy Spirit to open up what else should happen. Church, will you stand with me? I want to pray over you. That passage says this. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And Jesus is now propelling us to have authority, to be witnesses everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, around the world. Let me pray that over you, and then we'll sing it together. God, thank you that you trust us enough, that you've done enough good work in us that something can be 
possible where we are your witnesses. I pray in your power, the name of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, would we be a bright light everywhere we go this week, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. God, if we travel or we have plans around the world, God, as our church begins to dream and look for mission and opportunity to co-labor with our brothers and sisters around the world, God, would you be glorified in Africa, India, Mexico, Southern California, would Hillside be your witnesses? God, I pray as we sing this, it would get lived out in us, and this wouldn't be an ending song, but a beginning song for the rest of the week and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.